Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for April 15th, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Schiff. Good evening, sir. All right. Good to have you all here. And in a few minutes, probably about 20 minutes into the podcast, we're going to have Elliot Morris of the Crosstab, a new blog that has really uh, exploded quickly, um, and we're going to talk to Elliot about his blog, his bio, and then some political issues of the day that he's been analyzing. He analyzes things on a little bit deeper level um, using research and data and other things. Um, but until then, there have been just a, just a few political issues come up this past week, and we're going to start off with Trump's attorney, and this is his personal attorney that he had before he, you know, went deep into politics. Uh, Michael Cohen. They have uh, had an FBI raid on the office, and it sounds like they have already turned up some things. There was a lot of smoke there. Obviously, a lot of leads there for them to get the search warrant to, um, you know, go search his office and the rumors of what we've heard and maybe some true reports. Some of our reports that we've gotten out says there's just a lot of different avenues of things that need to be investigated. Uh, Catherine, what were your thoughts when you heard about this um, entry into Michael Cohen's <clears throat> office? Well, it was certainly dramatic, wasn't it? You know, the busting down the door and grabbing all the stuff. And I mean, it was, uh, and, and, you know, of course a big surprise. So, um, I mean, I, I hope that it, um, I hope that it works that we get that they get some material they can use and you know keep this um investigation going and come up with what I think many of us believe there's got to be some some there there um I thought that you know uh the president's response was as expected that you know uh, all about him that because this happened to him it's the end of um attorney-client privilege and um, all that was, you know, to be expected. How about you, Tim? What did you think? Um, well, since since we started researching this this morning, we found out that one is actually under criminal investigation. Uh, you know, this product trip thing would be devastating. If it were true, um, um, it goes to the state. Part have been proven. Parts of it have not yet confirmed to be true. None of it has been proved to be a lie. Trip by Cohen. Um, in the summer of 2016, w- would prove that another thing that was contained in that dossier is true. 
It would all prove, at least to my satisfaction, that there was collusion that Trump denies. People think that this was conducted just because of Stormy Daniels. I, I, I don't think so. Um, no. Expedition. Uh, Bob was not fishing expeditions. He had some very major reasons wanting it done, and the attorney attorney for Southern New York agreed, and so did the judge who issued, of course, the search and seizure warrant. So uh, Who was appointed by Trump. Right. Everybody was. Everybody yeah. involved in this is a Republican appointed by Trump, appointed by Republicans, you know. And yet it's the Democrats' fault, right, David? Yeah, and I think of all the things, think people think, oh, well, the st- he was defending Trump. He made the payment on Stormy Daniels, and that may have mm. been the first thing to cause it to, you know, him's name to come up. But then the Prague trip, which is, is known to tie to the Russians, that the Russians wanted campaign officials in Prague. That's going to be the real um, issue for the Mueller investigation. I don't know mm-hmm. that how much of the Stormy Daniels thing is something Robert Mueller's even looking at. Um, I, I don't think he wants mm-hmm. to turn it into Ken Starr when you're looking at a land deal and you turn it into sex. I think he wants yeah. to look at Russia and keep it on Russia. Um, yeah. You know, so that's to me uh, the Prague thing. Well, and, and who knows if uh, Michael Cohen is involved in more. I think one thing that would be related to the Stormy Daniels thing is if there were some type of threats made, um, you know, if, if some of that can be proven that Cohen or others were involved in, in threats, that's a different issue than the sex. So th- that has to get looked at as well. Um, Kim? Yeah, well, I, I was going to say, Cohen has some other issues. I mean, he's not known as Trump's attorney, but his fixer. And this yeah. rumor that perhaps some tapes exist of him talking to Trump and some of these other people, that perhaps he did it in order to, you know, cover himself in case things uh, ever explode. Man, that's that's grim there. I mean, you, you, you can deny many things, but as Richard Nixon uh, found out a couple of generations ago, you cannot deny tapes. Yes, things like that. The FBI has, you know, possession of them. Now, I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to use them because you will hear Cohen's attorneys have gone to an injunction to uh, stop the feds from using any of this stuff. So, so it's a hairy situation. People, you know, guys are saying that uh, Cohen's situation is the worst problem to date. Trump. True, I, I, I can see how. So we turn again, don't we? To uh, well, then what is Trump going to do? What's his next move going to be? Is he going to fire somebody? What's he going to do? we got to start looking at that again. Yeah, I mean, the thing he should have done a long time ago is probably fire Michael Cohen, but um, he needs Michael Cohen because he's direct to Michael Cohen 
to do a lot of this stuff for him. If I'm not mistaken, remember the um, piece of video? I think it was um, Brianna Keller on um, CNN. It was just a, you know, during the day thing where, um, you know, she mentions the polls and somebody, there was a Trump surrogate, and I want to say it was uh, Michael Cohen, he said, polls, what polls? And she ended up saying, you know, all of them. Every poll shows Trump behind. Of course, we know the polls. Some weren't as accurate as we would have liked. But uh, wasn't he the guy that uh, kind of was on the other side of that where he just kind of denied all polls? If I'm not mistaken, he's the same Trump surrogate. Is that right? I don't remember. I don't recall I, that either. I want to say, but, but and, and it just kind of, he seems to, it kind of fits into this narrative of he just is a Trump sycophant that's going to defend him well, on it, anything. It, um, it seems him. to be beyond that, though, David. Uh, many puns have stated that this so enraged Trump, not just because of what Cohen may know, but because of who he is. He literally views him as more than an attorney, more than an associate, more than a surrogate, almost as a member of his own family. Yeah. Truly, for the first time, we have now cracked the inner circle of Trump's world. Uh, and, and he's liable to lash out in direction. Look at the things that he's already said. An American, this is. And stuff like that. Um, it's it's going to be some rough days coming up. Yeah, and by the way, I did look it up, and it was Michael Cohen uh, back on mm. August seventeenth, I think. Uh, um, and he was, you know, what polls show him trailing? So this is a guy that's just not in reality when it comes with Donald Trump. It seems. Yeah. Um, you're talking but, about firing. Uh, oh, go ahead, Tim. Well, I was going to say another thing. Stormy Daniels' attorney was on television this morning. He has announced that when uh, they're all in court tomorrow with this hearing on on things that both he and she will be in the room. That should be most interesting, shouldn't it? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's... I've heard that one too, and I think he that his her lawyer is interjecting a lot of things too. Um, let's look at you were talking about firing Tim and honest Catherine. Uh, I've heard that the number two man at Justice, uh, Rod uh, Rosenstein, who ends up having because Jeff Sessions recused himself, directs a lot of the things related to this um, investigation. Donald Trump came just incredibly close to firing him, and it may still happen. Um, how's that going to look and play if he fires Rod Rosenstein, Catherine? Well, the only way that he can get rid of Mueller is to fire Rosenstein and get somebody in there who will fire Mueller because he can't do mm-hmm. it. So um, I think it's going to depend on, you know, his mood. But I'm, I know he's not happy with him. I mean, I, he's not happy with anybody at DOJ, I don't think. But, um, yeah, he's got – if he wants to get rid of Mueller, he's going to have to get rid of Rosenstein first, Rosenstein first. And how will that yeah. look? It will look really bad. It will look really bad to people who are paying attention and who know about things like this. But to the – you know, I think to his base, 
it's going to be like, good for him. He needs to get rid of those people who are not supporting him. Don't you think? I mean, I don't think Definitely any, there is any, a I don't think anything is going to, yeah, but I don't think anything's going to change the base, his base. Mm-hmm. Nothing's going to change their minds. No. So, no. And that's all he's going to listen to. So he's going to feel emboldened if he does something like that. He doesn't yeah, well, care let about me, well, let me go, kind of, go ahead. Yeah. Well, let me kind of go through that. Let's say yeah, there's, I guess, two to three things here. Uh, he could fire Rod Rosenstein. He could also ask Jeff Sessions to step down, and we know that he's been very, very close on that. And then finally, um, if, if he does get rid of Robert Mueller, um, how's that going to play? That's kind of a three-parter, if you will. Tim, your thoughts? Well, I, I, if, if I was Rosenstein, I, I don't know if we'd keep Sessions after that. To be honest, with you, I don't know why he keeps sessions now. To be <laughs> honest, with you. he he has no qualms about firing people who cross him. I mean, look at the the list of them. It's it's incredible. It's unprecedented. And as far as firing Rosenstein, it gets to the position where he feels like he has no choice but to fire him and just take whatever he comes. And that's exactly what he's going to do. I am frankly surprised that he has not already done it and appointed someone in his place who will then turn around and not fire Mueller, but just clip his wings. Because mm-hmm. anything move Mueller makes has to go through his boss, who right now is Rosenstein, who who is approving all of this. All he's got to do someone who will uh, narrow the scope of the thing where it doesn't touch Trump, for instance. Then Mueller can't hurt him, and he won't have to fire him. And he'll just take the hit on Rosenstein and figures that he can because he's managed to hit everything else. Then he has the power of the pardon, considering what he did this week. What about that? Is that an angle? Yeah, I mean it's he has the the pardon of Scooter Libby, which I, I mean honestly right. I've kind of forgotten all about Scooter Libby, but um, it shows a pardon. I think that move was to kind of distract from everything else going on. Catherine, do you think that was a distraction wor- uh, move, and do you think it worked? I think it was a um, uh, sort of warning, or like uh, not warning, but sort of a placard. Okay, there's pardons out there. I can pardon mm-hmm. people. Yeah, that's what I think. And yep. um, as far as Rosenstein and um, the AG, I don't think he can fire the AG because the senators have already said if you fire him, we're gonna, you know, we're 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 not gonna let you do it. <coughs> so yeah. I think that's well, kind of off the table. Because I mean, they, they they've been very vocal about that. Like he's our man, you know. He's our brother, our brother. Hmm. Yeah, he's from the Senate, obviously. Although, um, you know, they, 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 the Senate and a lot of those Republicans, they make big talk, but they always roll over and capitulate to Well, them. that's true. That's would true. they care so much about Sessions that that would be the, the 
you know, the bridge too far, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Tim, do you think this would be the time they'd stand up to him? I don't. I don't believe they'll stand up to him until I see them stand up to him. And so yeah. far, uh, all they've done is talk about how they're going to stand up to him. They haven't stood up to him at all. And believe me, he's noticed that they haven't stood up to him at all. And further, I totally agree with Catherine that what Trump doing with this pardon was sending a message out to others, shall we say, canaries who might want to be chirping and talking that, hey, if you say nothing, there's a pardon at the end of the day for you. Don't worry. I'll take care of you. Yeah, that's um, what I think was. And and he and very that's what well my do it. Friends do. Yeah, and and I I don't I don't believe I, I'm going to see the con. But David, uh, I I don't believe they'll do it in any way. Are everybody inside? I think they're afraid to do it because we're in election season and they know his base would then turn on them, and they don't have the guts to do it. Yeah, and, and another question. Um, other than the paycheck, what is he getting out of being attorney general? He seems to be less toothless than the generals. He has no friends if the you know Trump and Trump supporters turn against him, and they really have. He's not going to have a lot of supporters on the other side of the aisle by any means. Um, so, other than just getting to say he's attorney general and you know getting the paycheck. What's he getting out of this? Because their whole administration is embroiled in such scandal, it's not like he can get a lot done otherwise. Catherine, what do you think his end game is? Oh, well, I think he probably likes that. He can just go golfing or whatever he likes to do. <laughs> you as attorney general. I mean, what? but what is <clears> – I mean, what, do you think he has like a um, – uh, an agenda? I don't think he has an agenda. I don't. Th- I think he just does whatever he does, whatever everybody else does. He's not like a, you know, he's not uh, outspoken about anything, is he? Except maybe gay. Yeah, I, I don't know. An I abortion, mean, I, but I, he, I mean, the thing is, he's. I mean, basically, he is the caricature of Saturday Night Live. I mean, they make him out to be some like elf man. That um, is kind of almost, you know, like a mystical fairy, and and there's no real Jeff Sessions anymore. Um, there's just that. That's all you hear is that how Trump doesn't like him, and then you see the well, SNL character. You know, David, he's a character of Washington, though so he's been there a long time. One of them guys that really enjoys being there. He can't be a senator anymore. If he loses his job, does that leave him? And and yep. I don't think that's be but I think it's simple. I, I just don't know. I mean, I see, uh, I just see like a you know Rod Rosenstein. I think but, you I think you um you are um attributing. Um, maybe your work characteristics and my work characteristics, and I think Tim's work characteristics, as wanting to accomplish something at work. And I'm not convinced that 
a lot of these Republicans really want to accomplish anything. Their their main goal is to, you know, shrink government and lower taxes. And so if they don't get anything done, that's a good day. Yeah, I mean, you may be right about that, that uh, th- there's nothing there because obviously people have talked about the tax bill and how much it's increased the debt. And the Republicans were said to stand for, you know, thinking about the next generation and uh, shrinking the deficit and controlling that. And obviously that is just a total sham. I think some of us believed it was a total sham already, but the way that they have um, conducted themselves with this tax bill and exploding the debt even further. And, of course, there was talk about that. The um that they may try to rescind some parts of the spending. I don't even know if that's doable. That they could actually pull back on the spending portions of the budget bill that they passed there. a few weeks ago. But Look. well, let's go ahead and transition real quick, and we can come back to the other big story of the week in a little while. But we want to welcome to the Kazoo Vine for the first time, Elliot Morris of the Cross Tab. Welcome, Elliot. Hi there, y'all. How you doing? Good. Good to have you. Yeah. yeah um, well, Elliot, kind of first off, uh, your blog has just really exploded, but there's a person behind it yourself. Uh, just give us a little background on your bio. Yeah, sure. Um, well, currently I'm in, I'm finishing up my undergraduate education at the University of Texas at Austin. I'm a government history um, and computer science student here, so I sort of work with the things that I put on my blog quite frequently, you know, day in, day out. Um, pretty much any time I'm not sleeping or eating, this is sort of what I'm doing. Um, and uh, and yeah, and, and the blog itself, you know, it sounds like you're pretty acquainted with it, and it's pretty self-explanatory, I, I would think. Um, it's just mostly like politics and statistics, what we can learn about about today using information from you know from now and comparing that to what we know in the past, I guess. Yeah, well, um, I, that's one thing that's kind of amazing uh, about politics these days. I know when I was uh, around the time President Clinton first got elected, that's about when I was in college, graduated in 93, there was one guy, Ben Chao, down in Statesboro, that ran a political consultant firm as a political science student out of his dorm room, made the rest of us look lazy. Um, <laughs> and then now, as a student, you can actually get your name out there so quickly um, to where – when you hit the job market, oh, the guy that runs the cross tab, uh, that, that's a real advantage of today, and you're taking advantage of it. Yeah, it's been quite incredible. You know, I, I started this pursuit uh, at the beginning of the 2016 uh, Democratic primary cycle. Uh, I'm in Austin, so I'm surrounded by quite a few Democrats um, and liberals. We're all good buddies. And um, and most of them, you know, they would quite frequently ask me, Right, like, hey, who's going to win? Right, is Hillary Clinton going to win this? Like, how's Donald Trump doing on his side? And I said, well, we have a lot of punditry out there. There's lots of political news we can pay attention to, um, but there's also some more interesting stuff that that gives us a more compelling answer, or sort of provides an explanation that is rooted in something that is a little more, you know, solidly explanatory than just, you know, someone reading, um, you know, reading the palms of politics, so to speak. And so, and that's what I made my blog out of it started out as just like a simple uh, html web page right it was pretty much just a shell of a website and um and it's grown into what it is today and you know you say it has sort of exploded and i think i've noticed an increase in attention certainly over the past few months and it uh, it's going well so far 
and I guess we'll see what happens in the rest of the cycle. Yeah, now in the last three months, how long has it been going all told? Uh, it's been going all told for, well, I guess two years now, since uh, April 2016. Good deal. Well, and, and I guess the way I, t- I came across it was you um, have had a story or two posted on um, Political Wire, including one this week that was just for their Political Wire members only. Do you have mm-hmm. a relationship with uh, Tegan Goddard? Or has he just picked up on your uh, work? Yeah, we, he just sort of picked up on my work, um, and we have this good uh, like co-publishing agreement going on right now. Um, so it's good to know that there are some readers out there from Political Wire who are engaging with the content. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the – Tim and Catherine can tell you when we do uh, a show prep, uh, probably at least one Political Wire story is going to come in. Such a good aggregator of news, whereas yeah. yours is deeper in on fewer things. And so it's a good co-relationship. Well, one more question on the blog before we get into some content of it uh, and some sure. issues of the day. Um, your logo is a buffalo in front of the flag. Um, why the <laughs> buffalo? Yeah, well, the buffalo, and that was just a sort of a silly design decision I guess I made two years ago. Uh, the buffalo is our second national animal, right? And I think that's sort of an underrated fact. Um, but it has no significance whatsoever outside of that fact. It's you know, <laughs> just <laughs> just a buffalo. All right. Now, I like buffaloes. I remember when I used to go to Atlanta Zoo and they had one, and they position they the buffalo, and I'm like, why don't they bring back the buffalo? Um, so, so I just I think they're that. pretty underrated. Well, let me go ahead and pass. Yeah. Well, let me go ahead and pass it to Tim and Catherine so we can get some questions about content and political content games we've been writing on, and then I may have one more towards the end. Uh, Tim, questions for Elliot. Well, good evening, Mr. Larson. Thank you for being with us tonight. Absolutely. Um, the, the first thing I've, uh, I've got to ask, because it, it was such a earthquake-type political event recently, and that was the results in uh, Pennsylvania 18. In your mm-hmm. view, do they pretend a possible national wave, or is it just simply one race in one state? I think we have to balance both of those explanations, right? So there are definitely other indicators of a large national wave election, right? Um, if mm-hmm. you're acquainted with the site in my work, then that's pretty clear based off of generic ballot polling, some other indicators, um, special elections as a whole. And when we combine the single data point that is Pennsylvania's 18th into this holistic view of all the data of, um, of the 2018 cycle, they're certainly pointing the same direction. However, Mm -hmm. the 2018 special election in Pennsylvania's 18th district um, was certainly an aberration, right? It saw a 20 to 21 point swing from the 2016 Democratic or Clint or Trump margin in the state. It's sorry, Mm -hmm. in the congressional district. Um, And the average swing in special elections so far since 2016, something between 13 and 14 percent. So just on its face right there, um, it's sort of conveying. Uh, if, if we relied on Pennsylvania 18 alone, it would be pointing toward a, a wave that is much larger than I think the one that is actually sort of sweeping across the nation right now. Mm-hmm. Now, you you Democratic uh, chances. You you presently handicap the Democrats' chances of winning a House majority at some like 61. 
Um, yeah, somewhere now, between 61 and 62. How'd you do it? Oh, how would I do it? Right. Um, so, so there are four steps that I guess I'll try to touch on, um, and how we and how I make the forecast for the Democratic chance of taking the House. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing to do is to take all of the national generic ballot polling that we have um, for some amount of time in the previous. I think right now it's about 21 days. And that window gets closer as we get to Election Day, and it was farther two months ago. Um, And we average all the polls together, and we get a reading of how far ahead Democrats are in national vote intention for the generic ballot. And that tells us, you know, that Democrats today are somewhere um, around 7.5, I think, percent ahead of Republicans in the national generic uh, vote intention. Uh, But, of course, right, the second step is that we don't care really about what the polls say today. Uh, only to the extent that we want to know what that means for November. So I compare mm-hmm. where the are now um, to past movement in the generic ballot from April to November. And so that's for all midterm cycles since 1946. And, and I can peg like an average or an expected movement from April to November for any typical year. And, uh, and we just sort of draw a line from April to November of 2018. <clears throat> and, and that, comes with it, of course, a margin of error, like a, an acknowledgement that what we think is the most likely outcome in November is certainly not the only outcome. And I think the margin of error today, just for your listeners, is about 11 percentage points. So certainly anything is possible. Republicans could end up winning the national popular vote uh, in November. It's unlikely, but that could happen. And Democrats could, of course, win by 18 percentage points or so um, within mm-hmm. that margin of error. So uh, an even larger wave or a Pennsylvania 18 type wave is also also possible. Uh-huh. And then and, and the, go ahead. Go on. Okay, move, moving on to the third step. Uh, we want to move away from this national view, right, because what we care about is all the outcomes in 435 congressional districts, not really the popular vote. The popular vote doesn't technically mean anything in American elections. Um, so I take uh, a statistical model that predicts sort of a baseline 2018 vote in all 435 congressional districts, and then I add this projected uh, November vote margin to them. And so what I'm doing there is taking just a general reading of the district and saying, uh, you know, uh, New York 24 should move, I guess today it's 11.6 percentage points toward uh, Democrats uh, as relative to this baseline margin that I, that I make. And after doing that for all 435 congressional districts and uh, comparing how this approach did in the 2016-2014 midterms, I have another margin of error, right, for all 435 congressional districts. And uh, and now I'm able to say both I think the national environment should move uh, 10, 10 percentage points towards the Democrats in November, and there's an 11 percentage point margin of error around that. And I'm also able to say for all of these congressional districts, uh, I think they'll move, you know, 10 percentage points, and here's what that means in every district as far as Republican and Democratic seats goes. Um, and the fourth step is sort of like this fancy statistical technique that just randomly uh, creates a bunch of fake or trial elections, 50,000 of them, and then varies Democratic and Republican performance at, uh, in every single trial to get an idea of that, you know, that probability that we read at the top of the page that says, I guess right now, um, 61.7, or, you know, we can just round up to 62%. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, I thank you for that, and I am going to send it over to Catherine. Catherine? <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. It's really interesting, sometimes a little um, mind-bending for me. Like, okay, I get that. I keep having to yeah, yeah, remember what you're little, saying. But, but it's, 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 it's very interesting. I wanted to ask you about Texas since you're there, and since it seems to be such a lively uh, election year for Texas, what are your yeah. uh, predictions for, you know, just Texas in general and, and whatever specific um, races you want to mention? Mm-hmm. At this point, I think there are a few pretty clear-cut and a few more competitive process <laughs> predictions to be made in Texas. And the first one is, of course, like the gubernatorial and Senate campaign are definitely – uh, safe or very likely toward the Republican and lean Republican respectively, right? So we would say that Greg Abbott is almost certain to win his reelection, and um, and Ted Cruz is favored, but certainly not as a, as favored as he was two or three months ago to win the Senate um, election there. And and we can sort of balance. We come up with those expectations by combining the vote. Um, or the primary vote numbers that we saw here in March of this year, and with some current polling information, it just doesn't seem like the numbers are there for Democrats statewide. But if we're only looking at the statewide talk, we're missing a large part of the story, right? There are House elections in Texas this year. There are also, you know, state legislative elections that um, I won't get into. I don't know much about those. Um, but, you know, if, if we want to take into a of the chances that Democrats and Republicans have in districts like uh, Texas is 32nd, 23rd, 7th, and maybe if we you know want to push the boundaries like Texas 21, then we would say that there are probably one or two really, really solid chances for Democratic pickups in Texas. I would put those in Texas' 7th and 23rd district, right? Um, so Will Hurd is sort of one of the most vulnerable incumbents in the nation. He's in Texas' 23rd. Uh, that's um, that's likely to be true in November. Uh, but then we have a slightly redder picture in Texas' 32nd district with Pete Sessions and the 21st district without going rep, uh, Lamar Smith. And and overall, I'd say that there are, you know, two, maybe three in, in a large Democratic wave midterm year that could flip Democratic in Texas. And uh, I, I guess that is getting some national attention, some some DCC, um, the DTRIP, Numbers are um, putting Texas with like five competitive races. The certainly, I think the the most competitive races there in a very long time. Um, and that's actually, I, I think, either the fifth or the sixth most for any state, uh, most you know potential Democratic flips. So it's certainly on mm-hmm. people's radar in a way that I don't think many of us really anticipated. Being from Austin, we even um, you know I don't even hear that much about the Texas races here right now. Um, but uh, I would say that that's underrated too. That that we should focus maybe a little more on those. Yeah, I've been I've been hearing a lot about them, so I don't know yeah. what what our different sources are. But anyway, well, thank you very much. It's really interesting, and now I'm going to get send it back to David. Sure. Yes. Well, um, Elliot, you wrote an article just this week that was I found on Political Wire. Uh, what if James Comey understood probability? And um, just kind of tell our listeners, what did he not understand? What did he not get wrong or get correct? Yeah, Uh, at the most fundamental level, James Comey's recitation in his new new memoir 
that Hillary Clinton was sure, or that he was living in an environment under which Hillary Clinton was sure, or almost almost sure or certain to win the election. Um, that assertion is probably just fundamentally incorrect based on most true readings of um, of like the data and the statistics of the 2016 election. At the time he made those, uh, he made the decision to release his you know, infamous memo to Congress saying that he had reopened the Hillary Clinton investigation or the investigation into her use of an email server. I guess it was technically not even into her. It was into uh, Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin. Um, the Democrats were probably somewhere around 80 to 90 percent favorites, uh, or Hillary Clinton was, you know, somewhere between 80 and 90 percent chance to win the presidency, to win enough votes in the Electoral College. Um, and even that is no sure thing, as Comey, you know, using Comey's own words. Um, and that is important because he says, you know, he admits in his book, in this New York Times piece that was that was profiling his book, um, he, he admits that because he was living under this environment, he made some decisions, i.e., you know, releasing this memo that could have, or, or you know, many prognosticators would say likely did cost her at least some votes, um, possibly enough cost her the election, and the idea is that if, if he didn't have these assumptions, um, that maybe he would have acted differently, and and that's the what if in the piece um, in the piece's title. But there's there's a deeper meaning in the story besides like, hey Comey, why don't you understand numbers? And that is why why doesn't anyone understand probabilities, or why do most people not really get what uh, an eighty percent probability of an outcome occurring means? Um, and, the, and the piece relies on a few things to sort of drive this point home. Um, the, the first is this uh, is like a competitive sort of marketplace environment that we're in right now for forecasts. There are a lot of them. A lot of them show different numbers. Um, and, and we sort of have to pick and choose what information we want to lean heavier on. If there's just one forecast, that's the only number that anyone sort of pays attention to. And if it's a good number, then I guess a lot of people uh, will listen to it. And in the case of the 2016 primary, there were some forecasts uh, like mine, like the one at 538 in New York Times, like the one at Daily Cost, that said, you know, Hillary Clinton's chances somewhere around, um, you know, the high 70s or the high 80s uh, in, uh, you know, on November 8th, 2016. But there are two or three, depending on, you know, how you want to count them, forecast that said her chance was, you know, above 98%. And one of them from um, uh, Dr. Sam Wang at Princeton said, you know, 99.5% chance of a Clinton victory, which to a lot of us is just sort of a, a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation of the error of the polling and of the other indicators of elections. That is just sort of not a true interpretation of uncertainty around certain events. Um, and that's the first thing that I'm really trying to convey in the piece is that, um, you know, there are, there are a lot of these different numbers out there, but we really want to make sure we're getting the ones that are most true to the error that our estimates are producing, you know, to the uncertainty of the thing we are trying to predict. Uh, and the second thing that I'm relying on to sort of make this larger point that, you know, either, you know, people don't understand probability or we don't do a good enough job trying to teach them about probability is this fascinating research by some political scientists? Um, uh, San, uh, 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 pardon me, um, Westwood, a political scientist named Westwood Messing, and and, uh, and and another one that says essentially that 
um, that people interpret forecasts in a way that, yes, actually hedges bets, um, that if, if I tell someone there's an 87% chance of something happening, they might actually come back to me and say it's near like 75, maybe 79, sort of, sort of lower than we might expect. Um, but it skews their interpretations both of how many votes a candidate is going to get and their intention to vote in, in whatever election. Um, so their research is literally saying that when people read these forecasting numbers, it can lead them to be more overconfident um, about a race and their behavior, maybe not in the number they're telling us, and that people who get these large 99.5% um, probabilistic forecasts of a race actually uh, vote less or are theorized to vote less based off of the experiment that these papers are running. Um, so while the piece sort of like uses Comey as this tool to say, you know, what if James Comey didn't, uh, or what if he understood probability, the larger question, right, is what if we all understood probability? What if, um, what if people interpreted those numbers correctly and realized that even in a 99 percentage point probability race, they could still affect or they could lead to an outcome that happens one percentage point at the time or one percent of the time because, you know, there are, there's uncertainty in our estimates that they could directly affect with their behavior. And, uh, and, and that's sort of just my, my reaction to, to this excerpt from his book that says that uh, from Comey's book that says he was living in this, you know, 99 to 100% sure Clinton environment that, you know, by any true or reasonable reading of the data isn't, isn't anywhere close to how 2016 was actually unfolding. Yeah, a huge favorite, and you don't try hard, and you don't play the game, you're not going to win. You may be the favorite, yeah, exactly. but you got to show up and put in the work. Um, in Comey's case, it's a little different than voters that just don't show up to the polls because they think it's in the bag. Um, well, let me ask you, I know you've got graduation within the next month. Uh, what are some projects <laughs> – either on or off the cross tab that you have coming planned in the next little bit? Sure. There are a few things that I've been working on both for school and for the blog that I guess I could talk about. Uh, the first thing is to update the 2018 forecast model um, to include some results from these special elections, like the one in, um, in Pennsylvania's 18th district and some other legislative elections that uh, historically give us a stronger uh, prediction for November, and uh, you know, I'll spoil the results for you guys and your listeners. Um, that 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 should bump Democrats' chance to win the House up by like six or seven percentage points. It'll put it around seventy percent if we add that to today's numbers. Um, and then off the cross tab, my academic research focuses. Um, well, actually, I have like three or four different projects going right now. But the ones that you all would be interested in. Um, is, is this dissection of what people mean by, like, their ideological labels, liberal or conservative. Um, I should be finishing up that work, and I'll probably put it online, too, just for, you know, the intellectually curious some sometime before I graduate in the middle of May. And then I also have a few other projects, one of them about polarization in the United States Senate and how, um, you know, again, spoiler alert, committee leaders are less cooperative than their rank-and-file colleagues, which is sort of the opposite of what we would expect. Um, and, uh, and other than that, you know, the projects just sort of come as the reactions to the news, you know, the nature of data journalism, and uh, excited, I guess, for, for graduation and for what happens uh, in between. Well, it sounds like you have more planned out than the average 
uh, person fixing to finish school in the next uh, four weeks or so. Um, <laughs> Ellie, I just want to thank you for coming on the Kudzu Vine. And if this has been too painful, I'd love to have you on again in the future. Absolutely. And, you know, David, you emailed me. Just feel free to email me again. And uh, it was pleasant chatting with all three of y'all. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank right, you again. That was Elliot. You too. Elliot Morris of the Crosstab, going to be a graduate of uh, University of Texas, most likely before the next time he comes on with us. But if you hadn't read his blog, the Crosstab, highly recommend it. Very good in-depth analysis. Um, well, you know, Elliot kind of talked about, you know, the partisan partisanship and, and the nation's capital. Now, he mentioned the Senate. We're going to go to Congress and kind of something that we – we knew that Paul Ryan was probably both losing some power and probably losing some passion, and I, I can't blame him for the second one at all. Um, <laughs> but he has lost so much, he decides that he's going to not run for reelection, not only not going to want to be speaker – not going to even want to be in the Congress, um, but it came out this week. Um, Kim, what's your reaction to Paul Ryan? Well, I was surprised, you know, that he did it when he did it. it, it but, but in no way do I believe for the crazy reasons he gave first. There's no way I believe he would leave now. If he was certain, House would stay Republican hands. Uh, secondly, maybe he's seeing a little bit of troubling polling in his own district. We talked about his opponent. Uh, well, his opponents raised five million dollars. He is in a for real race there in his in his home district, really for the first time, uh, and he is compelled, I think, for those two reasons, to, at the age of 48, stand down and, and get out of the Congress, and maybe to a lesser extent, he's just sick of fooling with Trump. What do you think, Catherine? Well, I think he got his tax cut, and that's what he wanted. He did that, mm-hmm. and uh, now he can go back to his cave and play with his kids and um, get on the speaker's tour and, you know, take it easy. I I mean, I'm not surprised. I was surprised by the, by the timing and, um, but overall I'm not really surprised. I think that his big, um, his big goal was to get this nice tax cut and he did it. So now he can go home and, I mean, I'm sure that I don't know that he's tired of fooling with the president, but I'm sure that I think that being speaker is is a tough job. Um, I mean, whether you agree with what they do or not, it's still a hard job. And probably looking at his um, his the the race coming up, he was probably like, okay, I'm tired. I want to hang out with my children. Now's a good time to go. I have a friend who always says, the best time to leave is when you're having the most fun. Yeah, and I don't know that he's having the most fun right now, but I do think he hit on something uh, as far as speaker being a hard job. And I think it's probably always been a hard job, but I think in this political environment, 
it's even a harder job. And you kind of hear more and more about John Boehner since he's left about how miserable he was being speaker because both parties, but in particular the Republican Party, is just uh, such a, a you know broad coalition of conservative to just complete nuthouse conservative that just you know wants things that are um, so far to the American mainstream. And you know you have to keep the party plausible to get votes, and you've got some folks that are just will say and think anything because of the Tea Party element that, that keeping that caucus in line. It's so, so difficult, and he would try to have to win re-election, but then in his own district and for a majority of members, or they would probably uh, shun him if they were you know, to lose the majority. The Republican Party seems to be much more savage than the Democratic Party in that if you lose, you're out no matter um, how well you did. I mean, I kind of get the idea if the Republican Party – uh, owned a football team and it was called the Patriots. Bill Belichick could probably be out on his uh, can for losing this year's Super Bowl, even they had lost. won five previously. They just hate losing so bad. They just just don't. Well, they don't see the forest well, for the trees because they'll just fire you when you lose. Yeah, but well, let me put the question to you then, David. Do there's any way and would leave if he thought? the Republicans were going to retain the House. I think he'd be much, much more apt to stay. I think if he thought there was going to be a President Pence, he might also be more apt to stay. Yeah. Uh, Those two things are a little bit tied together. Trump is why they're going to be one of the major reasons they lose the majority uh, because all he's been done is embroiled in scandal and turns off so many of the American people and motivates Democrats to get out and vote, which is the key, because I think if everybody turned out to vote, Democrats would win many more elections than they have. Not every single one. I'm not saying there aren't times in which we would lose favor with the American people here and there, but by and large, if we show up, we win. You've got a motivated Democratic base. Therefore, their majority's in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then if you could at least have a predictable person, which – Mike Pence, while we might not agree with him, he's at least predictable. Uh, it's a little easier to govern than if you have Donald Trump, who is just all over the map. What do you think of that uh, analysis, Catherine and or, or Tim? Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I, I just think no. he, you know, there's. We'll never know his reason, but I think we've compiled a good list of possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, look, that brings the number of House retirements to 27 against 11 Democrats. And, and, and it, it, if you add to it, the office being vacated for other reasons, like, I don't know, seeking other office or something. We now are talking about 40 Republicans who are vacating their seats versus only 19 Democrats. The Democrats only need seats to win control of the House. It's the stage. Who are we talking about? The number one fundraiser in the country for House 
GOP racist. This guy can collect a ton of money, which just exited the stage. Uh, Doesn't that just compound their already as far as maintaining control? Yeah, I mean, their timers are huge, just the wave. The new Pennsylvania map that Elliot talked about, we've had others talk about in the past, that's not helping things because that had been so gerrymandered in the Republicans' favor. It's going to open up several new districts. Um, And then it's going to get tougher because if Republicans lose some governor's races that they've held in some of these bluish, purple states and they lose some control of some legislatures, it may mean very different districts get drawn in 2020 right. moving forward. So, therefore, um, they're not going to have these um, skewed majorities that they've had. Because, as we know, that there's been so many cycles where more people across the country, if you add up all ballots, have voted Democratic than Republican um, for Congress. And so the, the Republicans from 2012 to 2020 – are going to run in a different landscape than they ever have and probably ever will again. It's got to get worse this year before it gets better if the prognosticators are correct. Right now, just today, CNN said of those Republican seats that are being vacated, fully 20 of them are heavily at just risk heavily at risk to flip needing only the leaving the democrats needing only three more seats to flip not only that they said in coming days there could be as many as 15 more uh republicans and that they're not going to seek re-election don't it give the impression that this thing that the door is turning from a trickle into I don't know, kind of a stampede. Yeah, like the yeah, like uh, jumping off a, a sinking ship. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. much. And and two of the biggest events I think had to be when Doug Jones won Alabama. They're like, oh crap, that's Alabama. I mean, probably even a lot of these districts weren't as Republican as Alabama as a state. And then when Connor Lamb did win that district in Pennsylvania, um, that said they said, oh well, that is a um, House district, not a Senate district. So some things have actually flipped because if it was just the Kansas, just the Georgia, just the um, South Carolina races where they held on, they might say, oh, we've got to really campaign this year. We can pull this out. But but that kind of changes yeah. things. And then one more thing, and I don't know how well we can cover it, but it fits in because it is a red state phenomenon. We've got about five minutes. All across the country um, – in different states, teachers have walked out, um, demanded pay raises, demanded government spending, and that's key to this whole thing. While these voters, these, some of these teachers may be Republican, and these governors are Republican, these state legislatures are Republican, these are people demanding government spend more on government services, um, you know, but are not guns. Um, and they've walked out in Arizona, uh, Kentucky, um, West Virginia and Oklahoma, three of the you know most Republican states in our country. Um, Catherine, do you think that's another sign 
how um, the you know title or the the winds are changing. I do think it's another sign, and I think the reaction from some of the Republican governors and Republicans in those states has been really bad for their image. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that um, they're not. I mean. You know, these are our children that are being educated, and you know, while most parent, while some parents may feel like teachers are, um, I mean, I don't can't imagine they think they're overpaid, but but still criticizing them the way they have, I think, is really bad. Um, it's a bad visual, and it's bad for sort of the. Um, I just don't think it's good going into election season to be criticizing teachers. Mm. Teachers' unions are strong in in many states, and we all know teachers, and we all, you know, many people have families and have children who are, you know, our teacher who who rely on teachers. So I just I think it was a mis- I think it the whole thing is bad for the Republicans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tim, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I agree exactly. Catherine's especially the last thing. Everybody knows the teacher or is related to a teacher. Uh, a teacher has a classroom of 30 kids, and those 30 kids all have parents and caregivers that know the teacher. Um, and so all these people keep saying is, look, all we want is to make a decent living. You've seen some of their pay that that they put on the news. It's scandalous. Some of these people hadn't had braces in in years. And And then they don't have enough money to buy the necessary supplies, so they end up buying supplies, and now they can't even take that as a tax break. I mean, it's just like... It, it's, right, it's and, ridiculous. It's, and that's the other shocking. part of it. That's the other part of it. It was very fashionable uh, during the Great Recession with, when the Republicans seized control of all the state. What two things did they cut heavily? Mental health and, you guessed it, education. This state alone cut billions of dollars in, in education funding. And a lot of that funding we never got back. And in a lot of those deep red states, they never even attempted to put it back. Um, so, so yeah, this is this is uh, turning into quite a nationwide phenomenon and not one the Republicans need right now. There's, there's one side of them on this. Yeah, th- this is kind of a uh, Kansas exploded. You know, Kansas, Sam, Sam Brownback, he really took mm-hmm. that, you know, government – Small as a bathtub or small as a drown in the bathtub theory to heart cut education a lot. Well, other places they just didn't expand it back. And we all know the economy's better than it was at the end of George W. Bush's term. Um, and so, therefore, people need you should then begin to spend on services. But if you have a thing where you won't know government services, then you have no incentive to expand it back. It really cuts to the heart of. What is at the core of both parties? And I think when folks really begin to analyze it, there's a lot of Republican-leaning voters that are going to say, I'm not as Republican as that, and and then that may make them apt to look at the Democratic Party, give the Democratic Party and Democratic candidates 
a shot and an open mind. And I think that's really the best thing that um, you know Democrats could ask for is if for a lot of new voters that or a lot of voters that hadn't voted for them, voted against them, to just hear them out and give them a fair chance and don't even just there say there's go. no way I'll vote for them. And you start to well, then get a fair shot and you pick off yeah. one out of every four of those voters and you flip them, you start winning races that you hadn't yeah, won and, before. And but I just don't, I'd, be happy if they just, I'd be just as happy if they didn't vote. <laughs> well, wouldn't well, you want them happened. on your side? I mean, you want them. I mean, you, not necessarily. Let's take them. I mean, if they want to support us, you, you want to bring people into the fold. You want people but to be I, together I, and on your be, side. That's fine. I just don't want them to change our. I don't want them to have any impact on our um, values and our platform. And well, if they in this say home, that's fine with me. Well, if you say, "Hey, spend on education," I don't. I don't know that we wouldn't. If people said, well, "Hey, this is what it is," I want to. Have Whatever. more education spending. I just assume they stay home and don't yeah. vote. I would. I mean, that's well, it. I mean, I want to vote. I want. I wish 100% of the people would vote in every election. Once again, I think it would help us win. But I think it's good for democracy if everybody participates. But um, what happens in these know. white well, elections, that's, that's, guys? A, that's a debate that requires fear. Uh, what happens on these <laughs> white elections? Sometimes the voters just say, you know what, with all these problems that the people in charge ain't fixing. Now let's give the other side a shot and see what they do with it. Yeah. It's our turn. Yeah, and, and that's what's happened a lot in our country, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, it holds right. people accountable. Um, and definitely I think a lot of the Republicans that are currently in office need to be held accountable for what they've been doing. And this is, goes right. beyond and before Trump uh, really even weighed in on what his opinion of uh, President Obama's birth certificate, which we know that's what kind of got him all started, as ludicrous as that all was. Well, um, I want to thank everybody again, uh, listening, and Elliot Morris of the Cross Tab for coming on the show. Till next week, that's Kudzu Vine. Good night, night guys. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.